Hello everybody, and welcome back to, actually that's a bad intro, hi, hello, hi, it's me, this guy, you probably know my name now. Uh, so today we have a very special episode, we're joined with a very special guest, my teacher, he's a very intelligent man, uh, Rabbit Simone, how are you doing on this fine mystical day? Thank the almighty lord, we're still breathing, we're still strong, we're still healthy, and we hope we're going to continue being strong and healthy, and uh, thank the ABC, everything is going very well. Amen. Alright, so today we are going to be proposing Rabbit Simone questions. We will hear his answers, and maybe we'll dispute his answers. If we agree with them, we'll go with it, and yeah, let's see where it goes. So uh, the first question I have for you, Rabbi, is if after Mashiach comes, we're going to lose our Yitzhahara, and in order for free will, we need both an evil inclination and a bad inclination, and if we don't have the ability to have a bad inclination, doesn't that mean we're also going to lose our free will? That's a very, very, very good question, a very tough question also. But first of all, we cannot compare the time now to after Mashiach is going to come, which means... That the real free choice, the real having the challenge and the evil inclination is really just now before Mashiach comes. Now is our last chance actually to have the real fight and challenge. And that's why we have to make sure that we don't lose this war. We fight and we fight and we fight. Because after Mashiach is going to come, it's for sure and definitely not going to be the same free will and the same fight that we have now. The same avoided that we have now. After Mashiach comes... There will be no evil inclination, so we're not going to have that type of work, that type of job. There's still going to be work for us to do, obviously, only in the positive sense. And it's still going to be some sort of challenge and some sort of free will, exactly how it's going to be. I don't know if anyone knows, because the actual facts of how it's, the world's going to be working, as Mashiach is going to come, is very concealed. And there's a lot of arguments and opinions about these things, and it's not clear exactly. So the answer in short will be that in, it's not going to be the free will that we have now. It's not going to be the real challenge that we have now. But there is going to be some sort of job and even maybe some challenge a little bit with only the good inclination being within us. Uh-huh. So it's not going to be like an easy, there's no challenge world. There's going to actually be a purpose, a reason to strive. There's going to have to be some sort of purpose. And we can't understand it from our perspective now. Because we are living now in a mindset and in a world when there's a real challenge and there's negativity, we have to fight and it's hard to do good. All of that is not going to exist. So how it's going to be a job only doing good, it's hard for us to know. I don't know if there's any clear exact answer how it's going to be. We're going to have to live up to it in order to see it, in order to understand it. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. So there's no really disputing that argument because the argument is that you can't really argue because we don't know all the facts yet. Very good. It could be someone speaks about it, but not to, not to, not to, to, my, to my knowledge. I don't uh, see uh, someone speaking about it. All right. Okay. So let's just move on to question two. Um, I don't know if you know, but there's this thing out there that uh, some people do called palm reading. And there's like apps for it that they say that the lines on your palm can read out your life and exactly what's going to happen. And it doesn't tell the future. It just makes predictions. Like there's a lifeline, like the certain line on your palm says how long you're going to live or how long you're supposed to live if nothing catastrophic happens. Um, I was wondering if there's any proof in Chassidic or uh, Chassidus or in the Kabbalah teachings that uh, there's any truth to this entire idea. Very, very good question. And the answer to that question is like many other questions, many other theories that are going around today. Which means that there is definitely some truth to that. We know for a fact there were people that was actually 500 years ago in the city of Tzfat, where we are now. There was a person that we know, Rabbi Chaim Vital, testified that he understood exactly the palm of the hand also, there's a lot of other things how you could tell in a person and predict what's going to be. It's not only predicting, but you see in the person's hand, you see on the person's face, and you could see what's going on, what's going to happen to this person in the, also, also in, the, in, the, in the future. This, this type of understanding and knowledge is called Kabbalah Ma'asit. In most of the Jewish world, 
there was not revealed these kind of wisdoms, this kind of knowledge. It was more concealed. It was even fought against. It should not be publicized to the masses. There were some communities in Yemen and in Morocco and Iraq that they did go through and learn these kind of studies. Today, there are probably people that do know how to do, the, how to do these things, but it's hard to believe that all the people that speak about it and deal with these kind of stuff, that they know exactly what's going to be. Could we know a little bit? But I don't think the regular person understands how these things work, but there is definitely truth to the fact that in a person's face and in a person's palm of the hand, you're able to see the future. And you have to be on a very, very holy level in order to do this kind of stuff. And in general, it was not really done. Right, but you said it reads out the future. Um, is it like it literally predicts how long you're going to live and there's like no changing that? Or it says how long you're supposed to live? Because like if it says exactly how long you're supposed to live, then you get into this whole question of free will. Because if it says you're, you're going to die on this and this day, then you don't have the ability to not die on this and this day, God forbid. So... Like, very good, very, very, very good question. It's very, also a very general question. That if it was decided that this person is going to be living a certain amount of years, or having a certain amount of children, if it's possible to change that or not. So exactly the lines of the, of the hand, I think there was one for uh, Parnasse, how much money he's going to be making about children, about life. And it does say it on the palm of the hand, but even though it says on the hand, and that's, it could be that's even the Gzeir Hashem decided what's going to be, a person always has the chance to pray to Hashem, and a lot of times he, has, he also has the power a lot of times to change the fact also. There was once a man that was impossible for him to get children. Everyone predicted it. It doesn't say they read the palm of the hand, but Avram Avinu and Sarah, they were not able, it was not possible for them to get children at all. And yet we see that through prayer and through the blessing of the Abish, that it was changed. It was changed and they ended up getting, getting, uh, getting children. And we know many stories that it was supposed to be in a certain way. And because of blessings from people, blessings, for, blessings from, from, from rabbis, they were, which means a person always has the power to pray to Hashem, even if the blade of the sword is on his neck and he was meant to die right now, he still has to dive into Hashem. And with his prayers, he's able to change it always. So even if Hashem decides something in the future, He can change His own written because Hashem can do that. He can, he can make it that there is something that's happening in the future and it's not happening in the future at the same time. Or, or in a certain sense, that if, if something was meant to happen and it technically already happened because Hashem exists in the present and the future, He could also change that and make two separate timelines or in our case we can't even understand it. Very, very good question. Again, it's very hard for our, for our knowledge to understand something which is totally, totally different and to understand the way Hashem, the way it works over there. But Hashem knows every single detail that's going to happen in the future and there is the decree. But Hashem also knows that you're going to pray and it's going to be changed. Huh? So the truth is that it wasn't really changed for Hashem. For example, I'll give you maybe an example. Hashem says this should be the, the holiday of Passover of Pesach. There was just one Pesach. All of a sudden, Jews started to complain why everyone else is bringing the sacrifice. We're not able to bring the, go bring the, the carbon. Hashem said, fine, you know what? You guys scram, you guys complain. We're going to give you a Pesach Sheni. As if it was not planned in the beginning. Only, which means that in the beginning it was planned to have only, only one Pesach. The Jewish people, by them complaining and screaming, they invented Ke'ilu to have Pesach, Pesach Sheni. But that itself also is part of the plan. Hashem knew that also. That's the answer to the famous question. How could, you know, God knows when Mashiach is coming. It was obviously planned out over five and a half thousand years ago. So what's the point of me screaming and asking Hashem to bring it now? If anyways, it's all set up. Everything is a setup anyways. So you're right, it's all a setup, but you don't know the setup. 
Your job is to scream and to ask Hashem to be Mashiach right now. And that very scream is, was part of the setup. And that scream is what brings Mashiach now. So if you if you were planned to cry, does that mean you don't have the ability to not cry? Because then that means people don't have free will. Very, very good. If I know, because I know the stars very well, I know that Levi, I know that you're going to going to Yesh by lunch. I know that for a fact. Do you have the free will to go to Yesh or not? You have the full I know what you're going what you're going to choose. Which means the person is crying. Hashem knows what the person is going to pick. The person has a hundred percent pure free choice. Hashem knows what you are going to pick, and that's part of the setup. Uh, okay. I mean, that kind of just opens into a paradox, but I guess we can understand paradoxes because humans have a very small uh, comprehension ability. But I want to add one point, that the fact is that the person does not know what the setup is. So the choice that he has comes from him himself. Oh. If someone wants to see something, uh, controls eyes, not control it, whatever the test is, the person has the full free choice because the fact that God knows that you don't, you don't know what God knows, that doesn't affect you. And when you do something wrong, for example, it's because you chose to do something not good. And if it's something good, you chose, that's why you get credit for the mitzvahs and you get all the credits for the, for the opposite. Uh, all right, so uh, let's move on to a third question, which is, um, I think yesterday or maybe the day before you shared with me an interesting fact, which is that after 120 years when we move on to the next world, uh, we're going to be the ones to judge ourselves and to judge if we should go to uh, heaven or hell, and, but we won't know it's us. And my question on this is that if somebody has a, a human can't do something that they don't genuinely believe is right. A human has to justify whatever they're doing because that's what we do. But um, so if somebody has this warped way of thinking and does a sin, Later on, when they move on to the next world, they're going to they're gonna see themselves doing that sin, and then their brine is going to be justified. So whenever they see their life, it's going to be like, yeah, that guy's good. You know, he did everything that I think would be right. So. Very good question. Very, very good question. This nature that you mentioned, that people always like justifying themselves, first of all, it's something that it's, it's considered a nature that we have, but we have to work with that. That's something on the side. But that nature that we have usually... By most people, it works regarding themselves. When they see someone doing something which they think might be wrong, there's no justification. The way it works, the people have that natural love they have to themselves, and that's why you have this, this it covers over whatever, whatever they do wrong. But when it comes to someone else in the class, or when it comes to a roommate or a chavrosa, we see someone else doing something wrong, the person gets very furious and says, how could you do such a thing? It's against you, doesn't, you know what you're saying. So after, after 120, we're going to see this random guy doing all, all that the guy won't be you. You don't think it's you. So that whole justification that you have for yourselves won't go for someone else. But what you could do is, Levi, a good exercise you could gain in this world is to learn how to justify other people. When you see other people doing things that look very weird, very strange, and very wrong even, you have to learn how to understand and to try to justify that person. You have to obviously help him. If you see someone doing something very dangerous, doesn't mean that you should say it really it's a positive thing. You have to justify the fact that it could be he doesn't understand, it could be he's very depressed. You have to help him, obviously. But there should not be any fear, any hatred. There should only be love and try to understand and justify that, that person. And then the chances of up, upstairs, 120, saying good stuff is going to go up much more in percentage. It's going to be much more, uh, much more better for us. Okay. Uh, let's move on to our fourth question, I believe, which is... Um, Science believes that humans, like, and this is, is that humans evolutionize from primitive creatures into more advanced creatures, but everybody knows that, hum that humans ev evolutionize in a sense from primitive technology to more advanced technology. 
So, uh, my question is, do you think it would ever be possible that advanced creatures will become smart enough over time to be able to use tools? And if they have the ability to use tools, they will be able to create... That's how, you know, humans became more advanced. Once we created tools, we were able to create homes. Once we created homes, we were able to shield ourselves. And then we made, you know, use of uh, the world around us to our advantage. Very, very, very good, good question. Regarding people being advanced, that's obviously clear, especially in the, latest, in the later, later years that the world advanced in a crazy, crazy, crazy uh, levels. Regarding animals, so first of all, the question is, do we see any advanced also within animals? Which means animals, it looks like, I, I don't know how it was years ago, but I don't know if the animals really did evolutionize in any sort of way if they came more advanced. It could be a little bit. But I don't think we could even compare the human race to animals. The, the human race has a God-gifted thing that's called brains, and that could really go very, 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 very far. Animals are missing that tool that a person has. They don't have that kind of brain that people have. And therefore, even if, let's say, we find some sort of advance within, within animals, I don't think it's going to go so far. What could happen is that people will get so advanced, and they're going to learn how to take the animals and how to make them advanced also. But it's going to come from the human, probably, from the brain that God gave the person. That could go very, 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 very far. With that, you could also take other, other things and make them also use other tools. We see today all the machinery and the robots that there are today. That they're able to do a lot of things, but it all, it's all it comes roots back to the person's brain. Wow. All right. So for our final question, which is actually one I'm very proud of, is... If the ultimate is the ultimate purpose of life just to gain as much pleasure as we can because obviously this isn't true and this is very a very very bad way of thinking but if you think about it that's um let's say there's a bad sin you can do that would technically give you pleasure but we don't do it because then there's repercussions for it once we die but so technically what that means is that if you're not doing a bad sin now it's just investing the endorphins and dopamine to later when you go to heaven very good. That is a train of thought for many, 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 uh, many people. That we understand that doing mitzvahs, Torah mitzvahs, that gives you oyam haba. For example, gives you the next world. This world you're not going to enjoy too much if you do Torah mitzvahs. And if someone does whatever he wants and does the sins, he's going to have a very fun time in this world. And the other world is going to go bad. The truth is, and the truth you're only going to understand by experience. And it's better not to try experiencing this kind of stuff. But when someone does a sin, it's not that he's ruining the next world. In this world, he's not going to gain anything out of it. It could be there will be some sort of illusionary pleasure that he has during the time, but it's not really a real pleasure because there's no real pleasure for the person than doing what he needs to do. For example, if someone, for example, is going now, he has a hard time with his family, with money, whatever the story is, he's going to now drink a bottle of alcohol. So obviously, he's going to drink the bottle of alcohol, he's going to have some sort of enjoyment, he's going to feel very, very good. But that's not called real enjoyment, because it's something else that's really, and it's only for the time that he's actually, actually doing it. And by the end of the day, it's going to cause also damage to him. So although you don't see it, you don't see it right away, for example, a guy just now bought a car. He goes, and he got instructions to, to change the oil and put in water, but obviously he didn't care about the instructions. The car goes, the car goes very, very well. And he's going for, he went for a hundred thousand kilometers. His friend bought the same car, but like a little loser, he was going changing the oil the whole time, going to the mechanic and changing the water. You know, he, the first guy was having a fun time. He was enjoying the car. After a hundred thousand kilometers, the car stopped and the car wasn't able to be fixed. 
the other person that was listening to the instructions, which could be, you know, was a little bit annoying here and there, but he ended up enjoying the car much more than the first person, which means in this physical world, you are going to have a much better and enjoyable physical life in this world when you do do Torah and Mitzvahs. And when someone does Averis, uh, you know, I don't know if you see it right away, and it could be it's going to look a little bit different, but, but the fact is going to be either sooner or later you're going to realize that the Averis that you did was no gain at all, even in this world, and it was just, it was just a loss. Right, but that's still just saying that technically you're going to enjoy it more once we die. I mean, once, uh, once you get it in Laba. So that still technically holds by the question, which means that it is just an investment for greater, even if you use greater or uh, truer, in the same sense, pleasure. That's 100% true, that the, that, the old, that the real investment, what we're doing now, we don't see it really now, it's going to be mostly afterwards. But the, the, and the, but the truth is, we don't do it because of that. Although, although it's right, whatever you said is 100% right, you're going to have, you're investing for the next world to be much more in that world. What I said before, that's going to be also in this physical world, this is, this, this is also true. But if that is the reason why you're doing Teremitsis and the reason why you're not doing Averis, it could be, if, if this is your reason, it's fine also. But it's not really, the, the real purpose why a person is supposed to be doing good is in order for God to have enjoyment. You having enjoyment is true, but it's more of a side detail. If what, get, if what gets you to do the right thing is that you're going to have enjoyment, so then it's also good. But it's called in Torah, it's called Torah Shaloy Lishma. It's still good. The point, if you're doing whatever gets you to do the right thing is good. But the, the, the truth is, it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is because Hashem said so. And that's it. And the schar is just a side detail. Okay. All right. Uh, that's all the questions we have for today. Thank you so much for coming out, Rabbi. I really hope you enjoyed it. My pleasure. Very, right. very enjoyable. All right. So uh, yeah. thank you all for listening, for those who stuck around. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider following the show and sharing it with your friends, as this will really help the show out. We are available on Anchor, Spotify, and others. Thanks again, and goodbye.